Chapter 26 of Hogwarts. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Claire Reddick. Hogwarts by Francis Hodgson Burnett. Chapter 26 A Revolution. In a month's time, the Broxton Bank was an established fact. It had sprung into existence in a manner which astonished even its originator. Haworth had come to him in cold blood and talked the matter over. He had listened to the expounding of his views, and without being apparently much moved by his eloquence, had still shown a disposition to weigh the plan, and having given a few days to deliberation, he had returned a favorable decision. "'The thing sounds well,' he said. "'It may be a sharp stroke that way when the rest of him ear on it. It'll set him thinking.' Blast him. I like to astonish him and give him something to chew. Mr. French could scarcely believe the evidence of his senses. He had been secretly conscious of playing a minor part in all business transactions. His pet theories had been thrust aside as worthy of small notice. His continental experience had been openly set at naught. When he had gone to the trouble of explaining his ideas to the heads of the various departments, he had been conscious of illuminating smiles on the grimy countenances around him. His rather frail physique, his good breeding, his well-modulated voice, had each been the subject of a derisive comment. Give him a puddlin' rake and let him puddle a bet, he'd heard a brawny fellow say after one of his most practical dissertations. After his final interview with Haworth, he went home jubilant. At dinner, he could speak of nothing else. Miss French heard the details from beginning to end and enjoyed them in a manner peculiarly her own. At the Hooda thought it, no little excitement prevailed when the movement was discussed. A bank? And where'd he get the money to set up a bank with? Why, he's getting it out of the working mon and the sweat to the working mon's brow. If there were now no banks, there'd be more money to put in em. I do not believe in banks myself. Let the brass circulate, let it circulate. Aye, said Mr. Briarly, who'd reached his second court. Let it circulate and allow more comfort with the working man. There's too many on em with natural emotion. They're ruining the country. There's something wrong with them. If they'd give a chap something to put in there, there'd be some chance for him. But that's all of the way. He has now no chance, hasn't the working man. He has now no... Shut up, said Foxy Gibbs. Eh? inquired the orator, weakly and uncertainly. Shut up, so that's getting less bearily. Shut, repeated Mr. Briarly, winking his eyes slowly. Up? He seized his beer mug and gazed into its depths in some confusion. A deep sigh escaped him. That's a loss of the road, he faltered. It's the road with Sarah Ran and it's the road with Alnum. He has no chance, as nor mon that is misfortunate. And he happily disposed of the beer before Janey opened the door and appeared to marshal him homeward. But the Broxton Bank was an established fact and created no small sensation. He's a bold fellow, this Haworth, it was said among his rivals but he will overstep himself one of these days. He's set up a bank, has he? shouted Granny Dixon on Murdoch's first visit after she heard the story. Yes, Murdoch answered. She sat glowering at the fire a few moments, almost bent double, and then having deluded her audience into believing she had subsided, suddenly started and came to life again with increased vigor. I've gotten my brass in the Manchester Sevens, and I'll keep it there. It seemed unnecessary to reply, and nobody made any remark upon this statement of facts, but the venerable matron had not concluded. I'll keep it there, 
she repeated. Keep it there, I can't abide him no more than I can bide her. And then she returned to her fire, fixing her great eyes upon it and mumbling with no small elation. The thing'll break now for sure, commented her much-tried hostess sardonically. It canna stand up against that, I reason. How worth a better sell the works at the start before it's too late? There had been some vague wonder in Murdoch's mind as to what the result of Haworth's outburst against himself would be. The first time he found himself confronting him, as he went to his workroom, he spoke to him. You said once that you kept this room empty because you did not care to be at close quarters with every man. Now, get thee in, my lad, he interrupted dryly. It suits me well enough to have you near me, never fear that. The only outward change made was in his manner. He went about his labor with a deadly persistence. He came early and went home late. The simplest hand saw that some powerful force was at work. He was silent and harder in his rule of those under him. He made closer bargains and more daring plans. Men who had been his rivals began to have a kind of fear of him. All he took in his hand throve. He is a wonderful fellow, said French to his friends. Wonderful, wonderful. Even the friends in question, who were, some of them, county magnates of great dignity, began to find their opinion of the man shaken. In these days there was actually nothing to complain of. The simple little countrywoman reigned in his household. She attended the Broxton Chapel, and dispensed her innocent charities on all sides. Finally a dowager of high degree, the patroness of a charitable society, made the bold move of calling upon her for a subscription. It weren't as hard to talk to Regem as I'd have thought said Mrs. Haworth afterward. She began to tell me about the poor woman now suffer so, and somehow I forgot about her being so grand. I couldn't think of nothing but the poor creatures and their pain, and when I come to sign my name, mine trembled so, and my eyes were so full that I couldn't hardly tell what I'd put down. To think of them poor things. How much did you give her? asked Haworth. I gave her ten pound, my dear, and he pulled out a banknote and handed it to her. Go to her tomorrow and give her that he said. Happen it'll be something new for her to get fifty at a stroke. So it began to be understood that the master of Haworth's was a bugbear with redeeming points after all. The Broxton Bank held its weight too, and the new cottages which it was necessary to build. It is to Haworth, after all, that you owe the fact that this place is growing, said French. There came an evening when on entering the drawing-room of a country potentate with whom she and her father were to dine, Rachel French found herself looking directly at Haworth who stood in the centre of a group of guests. They were talking to him with an air of great interest, and listening to his off-hand replies with actual respect. Suddenly the tide had turned. Before the evening had passed, the man was a lion, and all the more a lion because he had been so long tabooed. He went into dinner with the lady patroness, and she afterward announced her intention of calling upon his mother in state. "'There is a rough candour about the man, my dear,' she said, "'which one must respect.' and it appears that he has really reformed. There was no difficulty after this. Mrs. Haworth had visitors every day who came and examined her and wondered, and somehow were never displeased by her tender credulity. She admired them all and believed in them, and was always ready with tears and relief for their pensioners and charities. Don't thank me, ma'am, she would say. Don't never thank me, for it's not me that deserves it, but him that's so ready and generous to everyone that suffers. There never was such a kind heart before, it seems to me, ma'am, no such a loving one. Haworth's wealth, his success, his open-handedness, his past sins, were the chief topics of conversation. 
to speak of broxton was to speak of the man who had made it what it was by his daring and his power and who was an absolute ruler over it and its inhabitants french was a triumphant man he was a potentate also he could ride his hobby to the sound of applause when he expatiated upon processes he could gain an audience which was attentive and appreciative he had not failed this time at least and was put down as a shrewd fellow after all in the festivities which seemed somehow the result of this sudden revulsion of feeling rachel french was naturally a marked figure among the women with whom she was not exactly a favourite it was still conceded that she was not a young woman whom it was easy to ignore her beauty of which it was impossible to say that she was conscious was of a type not to be rivalled when she entered a room glancing neither to right nor left those who had seen her before unavoidably looked again and those who had not were silent as she passed there was a delicate suggestion of indifference in her manner which might be real or might not her demeanour towards haworth never altered even to the extent of the finest shadow of change when they were in a room together his eyes followed her with stealthy vigilance and her knowledge of the fact was not a disturbing one the intensity of her consciousness was her great strength she was never unprepared when he approached her she met him with her little untranslatable smile he might be bold or awkward or desperate but he never found her outwardly conscious or disturbed or shade colder or warmer it was only natural that it should not be long before others saw what she seeing showed no knowledge of it was easily seen that he made no effort at concealment his passion revealed itself in every look and gesture he could not have controlled it if he would and would not if he could let em see he said to himself it's not to them it's betwixt her and me he even bore himself with a sullen air of defiance at times knowing that he had gained one thing at least he was nearer to her in one way than any other man he might come and go as he chose he saw her day after day he knew her ingoings and outcomings the success which had restored her father's fortunes was his success i can make her like a queen among em he said like a queen by george and i'll do it every triumph which fell to him he regarded only as it would have weight in her eyes when society opened its doors to him he said to himself now she'll see that i can stand up with the best of him gentlemen or no gentlemen when he suddenly found himself a prominent figure a man deferred to and talked of he waited with secret feverishness to see what the effect upon her would be it's what women like he said it's what she likes more than most on em it'll be bound to tell in the end he laboured as he had never laboured before his ambitions were boundless he strove and planned and ventured lying awake through long hours of the night pondering and building his daring growing with his success there occurred one thing however which he had not bargained for in his laudable enthusiasm mr french could not resist the temptation to sound the praises of his protege his belief in him had increased instead of diminished with time as he had been forced regretfully to acknowledge had been the case during the eras of the young man from manchester and his fellows he had reason to suspect that a climax had been reached and his hopes might be realized it is not every man who keeps on hand a genius naturally his friends heard of murdoch often those who came to the works were taken to his workroom as to a point of interest he became in time a feature and was spoken of with a mixture of curiosity and bewilderment to each visitor french told in strict confidence the story of his father with due effect and it's my impression he always added that we shall hear more of this invention one of these days 
He's a singular fellow, reserved and not easy to read, just the man to carry a purpose in his mind and say nothing of it, and in the end startle the world by accomplishing what he has held in view. Finally, upon one occasion, when his daughter was making her list of invitations for a dinner party they were to give, he turned to her suddenly, with some hesitation in his manner. Oh, by the way, he said, there's Murdoch. We've never had Murdoch. She wrote his name without comment. Who next? she asked, after having done it. You see, he went on waveringly, there is really nothing which could be an obstacle in the way of our inviting him. Really nothing. He is... He is all that we could wish. The reply he received staggered him. It is nonsense, she said, looking up calmly, to talk of obstacles. I should have invited him long ago. You? he exclaimed. Would you really? Yes, she answered. Why not? Why not? he repeated feebly. I do not know why not. I thought that perhaps... And then he broke off. I wish I had known as much before, he added. When he received the invitation, Murdoch declined it. I should only be out of place, he said candidly to Miss French. I should know nobody and nobody would know me. Why should I come? There is a very good reason why you should come, answered the young woman with perfect composure. I am the reason. There was no further discussion of the point. He was present, and Haworth sat opposite to him at the table. It's the first time for him, said Haworth to Miss French afterward. It is the first time he has dined here with other people, she answered. Have you a reason for asking? He held his coffee cup in his hand and glanced over it across the room. He's not like the rest on him, he said, but he stands it pretty well, by George. End of chapter 26